Welcome to the 234th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our look at week 10 of college football, our look at week nine of the NFL, a quick recap of the World Series, which was the end of the MLB season, and our first weekly look at the NBA for the 23-24 season. So with all that content facing us here today, let's jump right in with the look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NFL, where Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend predictions. In college football, Patrick went 2-2. Two and two. And in the NBA, Patrick went 4-0 with his predictions. He's 8-0 this season so far in the NBA. That brings Patrick's record for this past week to a combined 10-2 and two record and his overall record to 852 and 561, which is a 60.3% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I'm happy that my record is starting to climb at the beginning of NBA season. Normally, it takes me a while to pick the new seasons correctly, but found a good feel for the league so far. Maybe it's just because there aren't records to look at, and I'm just looking at pure talent and how teams were last year and it's kind of paying off and then just trying to do a lot based on injuries and you know early in the season it's easier to actually tell um who's injured going into games and it's not like the weird up in the air who's going to rest on a friday night kind of a problem um so that makes it a lot easier because that's where a lot of the games getting wrong in the nba happen like you pick the mavericks and then they just tell you on friday night that Luka Doncic isn't playing and then you go well I wouldn't have picked the Mavericks then uh, but regardless speaking of the Mavericks I did not pick them but they lost uh, the Nuggets beat them 125 to 114 it's a great game a really close game both those teams doing really well so far we'll talk about both of them later um, but that was the first game in my NBA predictions the Bucks beat the Knicks 110 to 105 uh, both of those games were uh, pool play games for the in-season tournament which uh, I don't I, I don't really have that much of an opinion about that, um, but I'm not going to spend much time talking about it until it actually comes around. Um, but the Sixers beat the Suns 112 to 100. Uh, I got that one right. That one was another one that was based off of injuries. Um, the Sixers being healthy, playing well, the Suns not being so healthy. And I think I don't remember if Devin Booker actually ended up playing in this game or not, but he wasn't supposed to, or at least he wasn't playing in the games before that. So. I ended up picking the Sixers because of that, and they ended up with the win. Um, Then the Hawks beat the Pelicans 123-105. to I just felt like throwing in a road upset on there. I mean, the Pelicans have been playing better so far this season than the Hawks, but um, I felt like the Hawks could come in and take the victory, especially because Brandon Ingram was uh, listed with an injury, so I thought he might be out, and I think he actually did miss that game, so the Hawks ended up with the win. Um, So I went 4-0 in the NBA. In college football, I took a few risks. I mean, obviously, picking the Georgia game was, you know, you could say that game wasn't supposed to be close at all, so that wasn't really that close of a game. But it was a top-15 matchup regardless. I'm kind of obligated to pick it. Um, And I thought it would be closer than Vegas thought it would be, and it was. It was a nine-point game. Missouri had their opportunities to really win the game, at least take the lead near the end of the game a few times. Uh, They just didn't do that. Um, It was not the 15 and a half point line or whatever it was that was actually on that game, um, which I think speaks more to Georgia than Missouri, just that Georgia isn't as dominant as as they were last year. I don't think that Georgia um, last year or the year before would play a team of Missouri's caliber and not beat them by 15-ish or 20. 
this team is just, you know, it's a step down from the teams in the past. It, it, it is what it is. It's just not as dominant of a team. That doesn't mean that they're not going to win all their games. That doesn't mean they're not going to win the national championship, but they are clearly not as dominant and it doesn't show up on the scoreboard as much that they are as good as those teams in the past, but they don't have to be to win a national championship, honestly, because those teams were really above and beyond uh, just regular national championship teams. Um, and then number seven, Texas beat number 23, Kansas state in overtime 33 to 30. They still don't have Quinn Ewer. So that made this game pretty close. Kansas state made a few very, very aggressive decisions, missed a few field goals that obviously could have given them the victory in regulation. Um, but in the end, they did make a field goal to tie the game. And then on fourth and goal, they went for uh, the touchdown instead of the field goal. And they lost by three because um, they didn't get it. Not really too impartial about that decision. Not not a big fan of it either. Uh, but Texas got the win. That's what I predicted. Um, and then number 22, Oklahoma State upset number nine, Oklahoma, 27 to 24. I'm going to leave it at that because I want to talk about more, that more later. Um, but I got that one wrong. Uh, and then number eight, Alabama beat number 14, LSU, 42 to 28. I knew that there would be someone who pulled off an upset out of this group. Um, so I thought maybe put put the put that on LSU and just hope that they could go on the road and beat Alabama uh, and that Milrow, you know, would kind of continue to struggle a bit. And as a result, um, even against a very bad LSU defense, that would be uh, not he wouldn't have a good enough performance to lead the Crimson Tide to the victory, but he was just good enough. Uh, Alabama's defense was just stingy enough against Jaden Daniels and LSU, and then eventually knocked Jaden Daniels out of the game. Um, so that one I got wrong. Um, and then the NFL, it was a very, very clear slate of four really good games uh, on paper. Three of them were actually good games. Uh, the Chiefs beat the Dolphins in the London game 21 to 14. Um, the Ravens, though, beat the Seahawks 37-3. That was obviously the one that I was referring to that wasn't a good game. Um, but all four of these games were, you know, very good records, five-plus five win teams uh, heading into the night, except for the Bengals. Um, but, you know, big playoff contenders playing against each other, and they were all in different time slots, so I got to watch all these, and I'll talk more about most of them later. Uh, but then the Eagles beat the Cowboys 28-23, and then the Bengals beat the Bills 24-18 on Sunday Night Football. And I got all of those correct. So I was really satisfied, obviously, with my weekend predictions. Can't do much better than 10 and 2. Took a risk in college football. Um, so not really surprised that I didn't get 11 and 0 when I took that risk. Uh, maybe could have gone 11 and or sorry, 12 and 0. Uh, maybe could have gone 11 and 1 if I played it really safe and just picked Alabama also. Um, but, you know, I'll talk about why I'm not really that upset with the Oklahoma loss in a second. All right, well, then uh, let's move on. But first, we'll note that Patrick's predictions for next weekend, as always, will be posted on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. So let's, uh, with that foreshadowing, let's turn to college football and let's take a look first at the best games of Week 10. Well, I won't be talking about Oklahoma for a little bit, but uh, eventually I will. Um, they are in the they are in the segment somewhere, but not in the best games because obviously Oklahoma State beating them is an upset. But um, number two, Georgia. Beat number 12, Missouri, 30-21. to 21. Like I said, Georgia not as dominant as they've been in the past. Um, Missouri was able to keep this game tied at the half. That was honestly something I didn't expect. A 10-10 game at Georgia at the half was not something that people thought uh, many teams could do last year or the year before. Uh, but here's Missouri doing it. And really, you know, 
this is the part of the schedule where Georgia is going to get tested. And honestly, I'm not going to say that they will lose a game uh, in this stretch, but they're starting to trend more towards losing a game than going undefeated. That might be that might be in the SEC championship game. It might not necessarily be against Ole Miss at home next weekend or against Tennessee um, on the road the weekend after. But I do think that they aren't aren't a team that's going to just run the table and go sixteen and zero. That's just me personally, though. Um, I obviously I could see it happening. I just don't think it will. Uh, I think maybe Alabama might come up and beat them in the SEC championship game if they have a playoff spot on the line because that's just so much extra motivation. Um, but Georgia still did enough to pull out this victory. Carson Beck had a had an okay first half, did a lot better in the second half to lead them uh, to the victory. And then if you want to talk about quarterback play, look at the Washington-USC game. I mean, Washington beat USC 52-42, to 42, uh, most of that coming from a 28-point second quarter uh, that allowed Washington to flip a 14-7 deficit into a 35-28 halftime lead. Uh, USC had the game tied going into the fourth quarter, but Washington outscored them 10 to nothing in the fourth quarter. And USC fired Alex Grinch on, I think, Sunday morning, maybe Monday morning. Um, I know he is fired, though, uh, their defensive coordinator. That could have happened a long time ago. USC has been terrible on defense all season long. Uh, I, I don't have much else to say about this game other than the fact that everybody predicted it would be a shootout and that Washington would probably win because they can actually get a few stops on defense. And USC has been a little bit more mistake prone this year uh, than people expected them to be. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. USC really did make some great plays on fourth down conversions that they didn't necessarily have to go for um, stuff like that, but they still weren't able to pull out the victory. Uh, Then you have number seven, Texas against number 23, Kansas state. This was a great comeback by Kansas state because Texas was up 27 to seven in this game at some point. Um, but Kansas State scored 23 of the next 26 points to send it to overtime, really forced Texas hand, but then gambled at the end of the game, went for it on fourth and goal, didn't get it um, to try to go for the win rather than just send it to another overtime. I, I personally would have just kicked the field goal, um, and I'm not saying that out of hindsight. I just don't think it's a smart decision to just go for the win like that, but at the same time, Sometimes you just got to take those risks when you're on the road against a top 10 team. And I think that's what Chris Kleiman was thinking for Kansas State. So I see the rationale while I may not agree with it. Um, and then the last game I will talk about is Ole Miss beating Texas A&M. Look, Ole Miss, I just want to talk about this. They just keep winning. I mean, obviously they have Georgia next week, so they're going to hit a major, major uh, road bump there. But this team can make the playoff. I mean, I feel like we say this every year and then, you know, week 10 or week 11 they have, I don't know. Alabama, LSU on the road, games like that, and then they just lose a game, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're not in the national uh, talk anymore. But I could, I could see this team. I mean, they haven't looked strong enough, honestly, to go on the road and beat a team like Georgia. But if Georgia wasn't on their schedule, I would say they would at least contend um, for the SEC division championship, and then, you know, in a three-way tie, they might go forward. The problem for them is that LSU didn't beat Alabama, and now Alabama still hasn't lost an SEC game, has the tiebreaker over LSU and Ole Miss. Um, so that's not going to happen anymore. Uh, but Ole Miss could have done that if uh, LSU had gotten that victory because they do have the win over LSU. Uh, and in the three-way tie, I don't know what kind of tiebreakers it would have gone down to, but maybe they would have fallen uh, in their favor. But Ole Miss in this game 
Uh, they had a lead at halftime. They let AM score at a pretty decent pace, honestly, but Ole Miss just did enough to uh, fend off the comeback from the Aggies. And, you know, I, it, it can't go on impressive teams because this, obviously, you don't want to be within three points of AM. But AM's a stingy team. They're a good team, uh, just not a great one. So Ole Miss able to pull out the victory, take care of business before they go on to take on Georgia next weekend. All right, and before we uh, we take that thread and move to that little foreshadowing about LSU-Alabama, yeah, the Kansas State-Texas game, um, maybe their coach was influenced by the fact that uh, their kicker had missed an easy field goal earlier in the game that maybe that wouldn't have gone to overtime and didn't want to get into a field goal kicking battle with Texas. I don't know. you got to admire the guts going for it. Um, all right, well, then, as we mentioned, let's move to the most impressive teams of Week 10, starting maybe with the game you just mentioned. Alabama beat LSU 42-28. It was tied at the half, but uh, Alabama really pulled away in the second half when Jaden Daniels went out with an injury. Um, they just played better on defense in the first place, and then obviously when Daniels went out, that made it uh, made LSU's offense even more limited. Um, but Alabama deserves a lot of credit for this win. I was just really impressed with their offense and being able to execute against, yes, obviously LSU isn't one of the best defenses. They have probably one of the worst defenses among top teams. Uh, very... Uh, you know, Oklahoma-esque under Lincoln Riley. Um, but still, they put up a good fight, um, Alabama did, on offense to keep scoring on that team. It's not like they're, it's not like they're still, it's not like they're amazingly easy to score on. It's just that their defense for a good team isn't very good. Um, but their defense, especially uh, in the second half, really, really impressive to secure that victory for them. And then I'm going to throw some love Florida State's way. I mean, this game was really close at the half. It was almost tied at the half. It could have been tied at the half. They missed a, Pitt missed a field goal um, to tie the game with 30 seconds left in the first half. Uh, and Florida State also scored in the red zone with a minute and a half, two minutes left. But Florida State's defense has been really stingy. It doesn't get talked about enough um, because in this game, they, they only – put up 24 points on the board partially because they didn't have either of their top two receivers, no Keon Coleman, no Johnny, no Johnny Wilson. Um, but the fact of the matter is their defense has been really good all year long. Um, and it's one of the main reasons why they have been able to stay undefeated. Their defense has come up with stop after stop after stop. I mean, I remember in that Clemson game where Florida state wasn't necessarily playing their best on offense. It was their defense that just kept coming through, kept getting stops, got the offense, the ball enough times that eventually they broke through and scored some points and then came up with important stops um, in overtime as well. So their defense deserves a lot more credit, and that's why I wanted to spotlight them this week. But overall, uh, not very many teams that were that had performances that were really unexpected and that impressive this week. Okay, well then let's move to the biggest upsets of Week 10. These were maybe the teams that were more impressive, but obviously it's an upset, so they can't go in that category. And I will go back to that game that I was talking about Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma should have won this game. I'm just going to say that. They got absolutely hosed out of this game. Uh, they threw a pass to the end zone on a third and, I think, 12. Um, that was, or a third and seven. They, they were in Oklahoma State's uh, red zone, near, near the red zone, I should say. Um, Dylan Gabriel threw up a pass. Oklahoma State's defender tackled Drake Stoops. There was no pass interference call. He almost made a one-handed catch in the corner of the end zone. But um, it's very, very hard to catch a ball when you've already been tackled to the ground before and you're trying to keep your feet in. Uh, and somehow, despite it happening literally within two feet of the ref, no call, 
Um, Oklahoma goes for it on fourth down after that, doesn't get it. Oklahoma State goes back down the field, uh, kicks a field goal. And that was really kind of the end of the game for Oklahoma. Um, so I just, it's just not, that that game was not really honestly indicative of Oklahoma. Um, I don't think that this team is a playoff team. I never really believed that. I just thought that out of necessity, because their schedule was so weak, they probably wouldn't drop any games. But honestly, Oklahoma State started playing better. And, you know, I made that statement maybe week four, week five of the season that they didn't really have anybody good left on their schedule other than Kansas. Well, Oklahoma State wasn't supposed to be a ranked team coming into this game, but they have turned on the Jets recently, and they've been playing really, really well to get to this point. Um, so they do deserve a lot of credit for that. And all of a sudden, they have the same record as Oklahoma, a better record in the Big 12. Um, it's really just that 33-7 to home loss to South Alabama that's holding this team's resume back. Um, but Big 12 fans might be happy if Oklahoma State plays spoiler to both Oklahoma and Texas in the conference championship game. However, uh, they won't be happy when they don't have a team in the playoff because of it. Uh, but that's a different discussion. Uh, moving on to Clemson, who beat Notre Dame 31-23. Look, Notre Dame obviously was out of the playoff race already. They already had two losses. Um, but still, this was a good win by Clemson. They needed a bounce back. Obviously, you know, this team is not ever supposed to be fighting for bowl eligibility. Um, but I think, the, I think the talent on this team is so much better than the season results indicate. They've just played a really, really tough schedule, and they haven't pulled out any of the close games. Uh, this is really the first time they did do that. Um, but they deserve credit for the win. Notre Dame, meanwhile, getting their third loss of the season. That's what happens when you play kind of the gauntlet of a schedule that they do. Um, just back-to-back-to-back weeks, at least if they had some easy games mixed in there, they'd probably win more. Um, but, you know, it's just you get caught looking ahead when you're playing a better opponent the week after. Uh, you get caught being too cocky when you've beaten a good opponent the week before. And that feels like the story of Notre Dame's season so far. I feel like the loss to Louisville was probably influenced a lot by the win over USC or the game against USC, just because they were right next to each other. You know, it's that kind of an effect. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, you know that your schedule is going to be like that going into the year, and you got to prepare yourself for that. And they haven't done a good job of that, and that's why they've lost three games. Um, Clemson, meanwhile, still not really contending for anything in the ACC, um, despite maybe probably being better than some of the teams that are. Uh, but I'll move on to the Pac-12, where you have Arizona, who is now 4-2 and two in conference. They beat UCLA this week 27-10. to 10. That is their third straight-ranked victory. I'd like to remind people that they only have two losses. They only have one loss in regulation, and that was to Washington by seven points. Their other two losses are in overtime to Mississippi State and in triple overtime to USC. So this is actually a really, really good team. Um, they, they barely have lost any of their games. I mean, you know, you take one of the overtime games away, this team would probably be in the top 15 by now because they've had a really tough schedule and yet they've won, uh, all of these games. You know, they went on the road, they beat Washington state. They've now got this one over UCLA. I forget who the other ranked team that they beat was. Maybe it was Oregon state. Uh, yeah, it was Oregon state. So Arizona's just been playing really well recently. Um, credit to Jed fish. They're bull eligible. Now, uh, they've had a big turnaround this season and they're actually, I don't think they're necessarily in the hunt for the Pac-12 championship game, just based on how Oregon and Washington have been playing. But they are technically in the mix if you only look at record. Um, and then finally, the biggest upset of the week, uh, at least in my opinion, was Army going on the road and beating number 25 Air Force 23-3. to Neither team scored in the second half, which is crazy. 
Um, but Army jumped out to a 17 to nothing lead in the first quarter. Um, mind you, Army is two and six on the season, not the typical Army team. Um, and Air Force was eight and zero heading into this game, and then they lost, and it all went downhill. So, uh, I mean, this is just a big upset. Not really too much to say about it. It's just something that's not supposed to happen. But uh, Air Force's run ends there, and now it looks like Tulane is back at the forefront of the uh, Group of Five race for New Year's Six Bowls. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at college football action, uh, week 10 of college football for this podcast. Let's move on to the NFL, where we are in week nine, and we'll take a look at the closest games of week nine. Well, the Steelers won ugly again. It was on Thursday night football. Felt like the right type of energy for Thursday night football game, just ugly, honestly. Um, but the Steelers won 20 to 16, beating uh, Will Levis and the Titans. Titans still have not won a road game this season. I think it's been. A very, I don't, I, I think they have some streak that dates back to last year uh, for that one too, but I'm not quite sure on the number, so I won't try to uh, assert it. Um, but the Chiefs, they beat the Dolphins 21 to 14. They were up 21 to nothing at the half. Their defense played really, really well in this game uh, to limit the Dolphins and then uh, actually scored one of the Chiefs' touchdowns as well. Um, so the Chiefs' offense still continues to kind of be lacking a little bit, but their defense, meanwhile, has picked it up a lot. Um, and the Dolphins just keep struggling against good teams. Honestly, they have not been good against above 500 teams last this year, last year, um, just overall. So it'll be interesting to see if they can pick up some of those victories against teams, you know, like the Bills uh, later on. But right now they look definitely more like a solidified playoff team, but not a Super Bowl contender because they just haven't beaten anybody that they would have to beat uh, to get there. Um, but not saying they can't do it, but they just haven't yet. Then you have the Texans. This game was crazy. Um, the Texans lost their kicker in the middle of the game, and they had to have Dario Gumbawale, a backup running back, start kicking. He made a field goal um, to tie the game, <laughs> or I think to get, no, yeah, to, to actually take the lead um, for the Texans. They wouldn't trust him to kick for most of the game, so they were going for it on literally every fourth down that they could. They were going for it on like fourth and goal from the six and the seven and you know, fourth and five from the 20, from, you know, the 15 or 20 yard line. And obviously if Kaimi Fairbairn had been healthy, uh, they might've won this game a lot easier, but instead it relied in the hands of CJ Stroud, who went down the field uh, in six plays, 75 yards in, I think 40 seconds to lead the Texans to the victory, 39 to 37, a really, really entertaining game. Um, one that's definitely worth a look at highlights if you didn't see it. Um, then you had the Eagles who beat the Cowboys 28 to 23 Cowboys. Once again, struggling in late game scenarios, uh, the Cowboys were up 17 to 14 at the half. The Eagles shut them out in the third quarter uh, and took a 28 to 17 lead into the fourth, but the Cowboys uh, missed touchdowns by Dak barely stepping out of bounds by Luke Schoonmaker, making a catch where his knee was down already at the literally maybe like in six inches out, away from the goal line. But, there was a completely clear camera shot that showed that he was short when he caught the ball. Um, and those little mistakes, those little just, you know, it's a game of inches. I mean, not to be super cliche, but it is super cliche. Um, those just few inches really were the difference between them uh, taking home the victory and them losing. And they didn't those little plays didn't go their way. Uh, and as a result, they lost again. Um, but the Eagles, meanwhile, rolling on at eight and one. Just the, I mean, th this team is just so solid. There's nothing really you can say um, against them 
but they've just been good all year. There's just not much uh, that other teams have been able to do to really stop them. A.J. Brown has been great all year long. Uh, Devontae Smith hasn't even had to do much, and, you know, fantasy owners of his aren't too happy with that, but he has still played a really good season. It's just that, you know, not up to expectations of a lot of people. Um, But Jalen Hurts and them, they're going to keep rolling on. Their running game is looking really good. Their defense has looked good enough i think they're definitely still the main contender in the nfc they are 100 percent the team to beat especially with how the niners have struggled recently um and then in the back to the afc the Bengals beat the bills 24 to 18 uh we're at the point in the year where the Bengals stop messing around uh, and actually start playing football for real uh and most teams haven't been prepared for it it was too much for the niners last week uh it proved to be too much this week for the bills so uh, no, not much else to say about it. Just a really good performance by the Bengals um, going at, at home uh, at four and three. The, this is a win that they like desperately needed um, and they were able to pull it out against the Bills. And now you will have them at the top of their division right behind the Ravens, who I'll talk about in a second. Um, probably not going to win their division, but they should they should be in a really good place for the wild card race. Yeah, it's also the point of the season where it looks like Joe Burrow is healthy and that makes him a completely different team um, and could be dangerous playoff time. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's move to the most impressive teams of week nine. Well, the Raiders fired Josh McDaniels and all of a sudden all their problems went away. Um, I don't think that's really how the NFL works, but, you know, maybe for the Raiders it does. I mean, th- he, he might have been that bad of a head coach. I mean, the guy can call plays. He's a good offensive coordinator, um, but you know, he's part of the uh, Belichick coaching tree that uh, hasn't done so well without Tom Brady. Uh, he's not the only one. Matt Patricia obviously was also horrible as head coach. Um, so it's really interesting to look at that kind of stuff uh, and see how it ends up. But the Raiders, they won 30-6 to in their first game without him. The Giants could do absolutely nothing on offense until the fourth quarter where the Raiders probably kind of had already let up at that point. Um, but a 30 to six victory is a resounding one that is very, very impressive. And that's why they're on here, despite the fact that, you know, the opponent wasn't of the highest quality. Um, but the Colts, they beat the Panthers 27 to 13. This is also another game where the opponent might not have been of the highest quality. Uh, frankly, the Colts didn't even do that much offensively. Only one offensive touchdown. They actually scored twice via pick six in this game, uh, twice via Kenny Moore pick six, actually, which is. Really interesting because Kenny Moore in his first, I think, 90-ish career games, he's been in the league for a while, um, had one pick six. He's a very good corner, but hadn't had the uh, the return game going. Um, and Bryce Young had thrown one pick six in his entire career, uh, which was in the championship game against Georgia when he was at Alabama. Um, and yet he threw two pick sixes to Kenny Moore in the same game. Um, and it was... You know, the broadcast was talking about it a lot because he also had his sisters in attendance who normally don't get to go out and watch his games. Um, So, you know, they were joking about maybe maybe his sisters need to come to more games. He'll get more pick sixes. But the Colts overall uh, just played a really good game, really impressed with their defense. Uh, We know that their offense uh, is going to be good because at least good because their running attack is great and their line has been pretty good. Um, So. They they have some stuff to lean on, and if their defense can return to a, a you know top half of the league level, I'm not going to say this team is going to make the playoffs, but they're at least going to give some teams fits that are trying to 
uh, contend for it. And they're looking really good heading into the future. Obviously, Anthony Richardson is injured currently, but he looked pretty good for a rookie in his time when he was playing. Um, and they are going to put entrust the future in him, and they will be good in the future. Uh, but then, who the Ravens, who just dominated the Seahawks. I mean, honestly, this is one of those games where I should talk the most about these next two teams, but there's nothing to talk about because they just they they just destroyed their opponent. I mean, the Seahawks only got three points. They just got a a field goal in the second quarter. Um, they could get nothing going offensively. DK Metcalf had one catch for 50 yards, and I think didn't haul in any of his other targets, which has been a frequent problem for the Seahawks recently that him and Gino have been a little bit out of sync with each other. Um, but then the Ravens, just on offense, putting on a, a show. I mean, they had three different running backs playing really well in this game. Justice Hill was great. Keaton Mitchell was amazing in his debut. Uh, one of the top rushers in the league this week, despite only getting like eight or nine carries, uh, just really, really fast. And then Gus Edwards did his thing, scored a touchdown as normal. Um, and Lamar also had a good game running the ball too. So everything was going, uh, firing on all cylinders for the Ravens. But then you have the Browns uh, who won 27 to nothing. Like I said, another team whose opponent wasn't very great. This was Deshaun Watson's return. Uh, the offense looked, I guess you could say the offense looked better, but to be honest with you, they just had so many possessions because the Cardinals were going three and out so quickly. Clayton Toon was bad. Um, it is what it is. They traded away Josh Dobbs because Kyler Murray is coming back. But while he is not back, uh, this Clayton Toon experiment is probably not going to work out very well. And I really don't think it's Toon's fault. He's just being put in a very tough position. Uh, not a good roster around him. And he's a fifth round pick that is a rookie probably should not be playing. Um, but speaking of Josh Dobbs, he led a fourth quarter comeback for the Vikings. The reason why this one isn't on closest games, despite the fact that it was won by a touchdown with 40 seconds left, is that Josh Dobbs did not know the playbook, did not know his teammates, did not know the snap counts, didn't know the cadence, didn't know anything. Um, and yet he came in in the second half and led the Vikings to a victory. Um, people were even joking about how, he, how people would how maybe when he threw the touchdown to Brandon Powell, he thought it was their number one receiver, whereas Powell barely played when Justin Jefferson was healthy. Um, because the fact of the matter is, he literally has had no time to adapt to the system. The reason why he wasn't playing to start this week is not because the Vikings think Jaron Hall is a better quarterback, because they wouldn't have traded for Dobbs otherwise. It's just because he hadn't been there for long enough. They knew that he wouldn't have enough time to learn any of the plays and get acclimated to the system, so they just had to run Jaron Hall out there. But then he had to go in a concussion protocol um, and couldn't return, so jo Dobbs was forced in action, and he did great, led the Vikings to their comeback, um, and they beat the Falcons to move to 5-4 and four in the season. All of a sudden, they're looking like maybe a potential playoff contender somehow uh, after all this, after all this uh, drama with their bad start to the season. Um, and then the Chargers, they are on kind of the same path as the Vikings, starting to really round themselves out as a team. Now at four and four after beating the Jets 27 to six, this one dominated by their defense. Uh, their offense didn't necessarily have to do too much because their defense scored a touchdown, also dropped them off at the two yard line uh, at the end of the game to get them another easy touchdown, a one play two yard drive um, and also a punt return touchdown or sorry, no, no, the punt return touchdown was a touchdown I was talking about, but the Chargers just played really well on defense and that was also really impressive for me. Um, because their defense hasn't necessarily been that great all year long. Uh, but a good performance by them this week, and we'll see if they can carry it forward in the future. Yeah, and Josh Dobbs' performance even more uh, impressive, given that he's missing his number one weapon, who may come back next week. 
Um, all right, well, that wraps up our look at the NFL. Let's now turn our attention very quickly to Major League Baseball with our quick review of the end of the World Series, which is the end of the Major League Baseball season. Well, I will say this World Series was a complete downer. Uh, these games were not very interesting to watch. You know, I love ba- we you or we all know I love baseball. Uh, we love baseball, but the Rangers won ten. The Rangers won Game Four, eleven to seven. As we all know now, they beat the Diamondbacks in five games. Look, the Rangers were a great team. Um, I, I obviously they deserve congratulations for their victory. But I mean, I think this. I think the series ended on Wednesday night, so it's not like we were. You know, we're six days out here. It's not like we need to do that much uh, talking about it. But look, they did a lot to fight through injuries. Uh, their their offense finally woke up when they needed it the most, even without Adelise Garcia. Uh, Marcus Simeon started to wake up in the final three games. He went five for his last 14 uh, after really, really struggling to start the postseason um, and had some really important contributions in this game. I think he had a triple and a home run uh, in game four. But look, the Rangers were up 10 to nothing after the third. Um, I'm going to be quite honest. I was doing homework uh, and I was trying to get stuff done. And then I saw that it was the third inning and it was already 10 to nothing. And I said, okay, well, I was going to clear out the rest of the games that I could watch. And now I'm just not going to watch um, at all because it was just not close. Uh, the Diamondbacks did make it close in the end, but you know, how much of that is just the Rangers not using their top arms of the bullpen, probably a lot of it. Um, and then that, that 10 run lead was just way too insurmountable. Uh, Diamondbacks weren't able to do anything to come back in that one. And then in game five, Zach Allen was pitching a no-hitter up until Fox put up the graphic that he was pitching a no-hitter through six innings. Immediately, he gave up a hit. Then he gave up another hit. Then they were in the lead. Uh, <laughs> then the Rangers had another hit that probably should have only scored one run and made it two to nothing, uh, maybe three to nothing if another run had scored off the single. But Alec Thomas was too quick to try to get it. Or sorry, no, it just should have made it two to nothing. Um, but Alec Thomas was too quick uh, to try to pick up the ball and throw immediately. And the ball went straight through his glove and ended up being a triple, uh, or I guess more like a single and an error. But Guy ended up on third, um, and the run, the extra run scored to make it 3 to nothing. And then Marcus Simeon hit the game-sealing home run, uh, a two-run home run to put the Rangers up 5 to nothing. That was all they needed. Um, just just domination from the Rangers. It was It was a great series that they played. Um, they deserve all the credit in the world for a great victory. The Diamondbacks will be back next year. I saw the World Series odds that they're down at 12, 15, something like that. I think that's really disrespectful because this team is going to get better because they're young. Um, I get that they're probably not going to get any of the big name free agents or anything like that, but it, this team will still be good next year. Um, and I think I'm not going to say they're going to make another run at it, but they should be another dangerous team. They're built for this era. They have a lot of speed. Uh, on the base pass, and they still have their two aces at the top, Merrill Kelly and Zach Allen, so they're built pretty well um, if they can keep their bullpen together, and maybe if some of those young arms can progress and become even better next year, uh, maybe they actually get a solid third star. I know Brandon Fott had been good in the postseason, but not great in the regular season. If he maybe develops that consistency, becomes kind of that consistent third guy, this team could actually be a lot better uh, going into next year, um, and obviously, you know, it's hard to say they can get better from being in the World Series, but after all, this team was only an 84-win regular season team, so they definitely still have room for improvement. Um, looking forward to the Diamondbacks' future. Looking forward to the Rangers' future because they did all this without Jacob DeGrom. Um, so they are still going to be a force to be reckoned with in the future. Evan Carter and Josh Young were both rookies who were contributing. I don't even know if Evan Carter passed his rookie limits because he played like 
he he almost had as many uh, plate appearances in the postseason as he has in his major league regular season career because he came up that late in the season. Um, but he was really effective. Both those guys are going to be good for a while. And obviously, Seager and Simeon are signed for like a billion years um, and a lot of money. So the Rangers will be good for a while. The Diamondbacks are still on the up and up as well. Uh, two teams that we will definitely see as main fixtures in the postseason in the future. Okay, well, finally, let's turn our attention to the NBA for the first time this season. Um, and let's start our discussion with the most impressive teams of the first few weeks because uh, it's not technically the first week of action here. Well, I'm going to go with the Celtics. There are a lot of teams that could uh, contend for this. Really, all the one-loss teams at the top of the league are the ones that I'm uh, looking at. But I'm going to give the first one to the Celtics. They're 5-1 and one in the season. Their only loss was last night to Minnesota. Part of the reason they were at number one is because they were also 5-0 and oh when I made this originally. Uh, but they beat New York, they beat Miami, they beat Washington, they beat Indi- Indiana, uh, and they beat Brooklyn. Look, this team, the reason why I'm putting them at most impressive because I, I didn't expect them to be this early. You know, they have a lot of new pieces that they have coming in uh, that they're looking to gel with each other. They have Drew Holiday coming in. They have Kristaps Porzingis coming in, Marcus Smart leaving. So the Celtics are really putting together kind of puzzle pieces to start the season. So you'd expect teams with more continuity to be better at the very beginning, but yet the Celtics have come out and just been really, really, really solid, probably making the argument that they're the best team in the league um, through the first week, through the first few weeks. Although there's another team on here that I would make that argument for that I'll get to eventually. Um, And it's pretty obvious who they are, Uh, but the Sixers, they're five and one. Their only loss this season was to Milwaukee on opening night by one point. That should be argument enough. Uh, Their schedule hasn't been great. You know, they played Toronto twice. Who's probably not going to be very good. They played Portland and they played Washington who are also some of the worst teams in the league, but they do have a very impressive win over Phoenix. Um, And like I said, they still only lost one game to Milwaukee uh, by one. The NBA is so varied that being five and, you know, winning five out of six games with only a loss by one point to one of the better team, most talented teams in the league. It's a pretty good result. Um, And Dame was playing out of his mind in that game, too. So they have an excuse. Um, Then you have the Mavericks. You want to talk about doing really well? Well, their schedule has been super, super weak. Um, but they've also only lost to Denver, who are the defending champs, and they looked pretty good in that game, too, and they're 6-1 and overall. Uh, they're down on this list because they have that weak schedule, um, but honestly, the Mavericks, you know, they missed the play-in last year. It was very surprising that they did that, but this year they have looked way better to start the season, beat San Antonio, Brooklyn, Memphis, uh, Chicago, Charlotte, and Orlando to get to that 6-1 and record. Um, and then speaking of the Nuggets, they're the final team on here. They went 7 They're 7-1 to start the season. Their only loss was to Minnesota. They beat in the Lakers. They beat Memphis. They beat OKC. They beat Utah. They beat Dallas. They beat Chicago. They beat New Orleans. I don't know why they're making the defending champs play so many games so early on in the year. Um, but the Nuggets, they have been up to the challenge. And like I said, they do have that win over Dallas, who was the who going into that game, it was a battle of an undefeated team against uh, a team with one loss that's the defending champions. The only reason the Nuggets are down at fourth on this list, I actually do think they are the best team in the league. I don't think that's really a ridiculous thing to say at all. Um, but, you know, they have the defending champs tax, right? I mean, I can't I can't be that impressed that the defending champs are 7-1 and one so far. They've had motivation to win on their ring night. Um, and then some of the teams they have played haven't been too good either. But, you know, I'd also like to throw out an honorable mention to the Orlando Magic, who were originally on here, um, but were displaced by the Mavericks after the Mavericks beat them. Um, 
Four and three isn't quite good enough for this list, but their ascent has come really early considering how young their roster is. Uh, just in general, they look really good, similar to San Antonio in the West, but they are flying under the radar in a national sense compared to the Spurs uh, due to the Wemby mania that I will just call it uh, for this point. But the Magic have also had a really good start to the season um, and deserve a lot of credit for how well they've played. Okay, well, let's go on the flip side and talk about the least impressive teams. I think... Obviously, number one has to be the Memphis Grizzlies. They're one and six on the season. Just no team being one and six is good. Uh, you know, they don't have job, but they just look lost. Um, one man is not going to change a one and six team into an easy playoff team overnight. Uh, Marcus Smart has been there. You know, they're, that's a guy they're building their roster around. Um, along with Ja, you know, Desmond Bain has still been there. They got rid of Dylan Brooks. Uh, they let him walk. Jaron Jackson's been there. So they have everybody except for Ja. They just haven't looked good at all. Um, and their, it hasn't even been their schedule. Their only one of the season is against Portland after Portland had already beaten them the game before. Um, and their other losses, New Orleans, Denver, Washington, Dallas, and Utah. You know, Utah and Washington are just not good. Um, so th this team just really hasn't played well. They're honestly just super, super disappointing. Um, and then you have the Heat. They are three and four. Not something you would expect from a team that make the made the finals last year. Although part of it is their schedule. I mean, this kind of goes both ways because they've only beaten Detroit and Washington and then the Lakers. Um, but they've also only lost to Boston, Minnesota, and Milwaukee, who are three really good teams. Uh, and then and then in Brooklyn, excuse me. But, you know, I, I just don't think that this is what, how you want to come out as a team that made the playoffs, or sorry, that made the finals last year. Uh, and, and, you know, they had all the drama in the offseason with not getting Dame. Uh, Tyler Hero has even played really well this season but they still haven't turned that into any victories. Um, and that really is starting to get worrying. Uh, they were a lot lower on the, they, they were a lot, or I should say I was panicking a lot more about them uh, before they had beaten the Lakers last night. Cause at two and four, they were looking really rough, but the three and four makes it look a little bit better, but they still deserve a spot on this list. Uh, then you have the Suns, who really haven't beaten anybody. Uh, they lost twice to San Antonio. They lost the Lakers and they lost to Philly. Their wins uh, they got the win over Golden State on day one of the season, but then they they only beat Utah and Detroit, who are some of the worst teams in the league. Um, so the Suns not exactly uh, coming out and playing as well as that star-studded roster should. Maybe throughout the season when they've gotten more acclimated to each other, they'll start to play better, you know, when Beal Booker and KD have been um, playing together for longer. But for now, they just haven't played too well to start the season. Um, and that is why they are on this list. And finally, as much as it pains me to say it, I have the Sacramento Kings on here. They had a great season last year. Uh, obviously didn't turn into that much playoff success, but they're two and four to start the year. And, you know, I made, the, I, I said for the Grizzlies that no one man is going to change a one and six team into a playoff team. Look, the Fox, the De'Aaron Fox injury is making this team look a lot worse than it actually is um, because they're 0 and three since he's been out. But Fox and Sabonis, not, they didn't play every game last year. But they played such a large majority of the games. And honestly, a lot of the Kings' wins were just due to availability of their stars versus the opponents. You know, they'd play the Clippers, and the Clippers wouldn't have Kawhi. But Fox and, and Sabonis would still be there. They'd play the Lakers, and AD would be out. But Fox and Sabonis would still be there. So the Kings do need to figure out a way to win games when those two are injured, because, or, or even just one of them. Because at some point, they're going to get injured. I mean, everybody deals with something at some point of the season. Um, they got really lucky with that last year to avoid um, either of them getting major injuries, but Sabonis is playing through a broken finger for a lot of the end of the season too. So, you know, 
the Kings do need to figure out a way to win without Fox. Um, they were two and one before he went out. Um, they had beaten the Jazz and the Lakers and then lost a close game to Golden State. Um, then in Fox's first game out, they lost by one to Golden State, but then it really went downhill as Houston beat them in back-to-back games. Uh, but they do need to figure out how to win without Fox because the West is just too deep to drop games at this rate and still make the playoffs. Okay, well, that wraps up our first look at the NBA for the this season. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 14th, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have a look at week 11 of college football and week 10 of the NFL, have another review of NBA action, and have our first look at the 23-24 college basketball season. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including the 4th and 24 college football poll that is posted every Monday, Patrick's first in-season NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted tomorrow, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games, which, as always, will be posted on Thursday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.